The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Here we go again. Here we go again. First one of the year. Mm -hmm. The Bears were shit. In 2022, but the best kind of shit, because they were entertaining shit, they were in almost every game. They got blown out a few times, but they were in them, but still lost. That's right. So they got the first overall pick, and they were entertaining. I'd say that's probably the best bad season you could hope for. And 2023 is looking up. Mostly new roster, relatively the same scheme, but now they have guys that can actually run it. We'll go over that later. Uh yeah, we have a lot to talk about today between personnel, between system, between coaches, between uh, Arlington, whatever the hell's going on with that. <laughs> There's a lot of bear shit to talk about in 2023. So, Jay, with that said, roll the intro. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. Uh, new location, EJ flew his way down here to L.A. Uh, so that we could do our annual off-season series from the corner of my living room. Uh, first of all, welcome to Southern California. Thank you for bringing good weather with you because, by the way, uh, total tangent, this is the wettest slash cloudiest winter slash spring that L.A. has had in decades and the fourth worst i know there's a lot of midwesterners that are like define worst <laughs> fourth worst uh since the 1880s we've had more cloudy days than sunny days in la in all of 2023 and then ej shows up and all of a sudden it's sunny every day so thank you welcome it's time yeah to talk it's bears. freaky freaky friday weather uh i left seattle and it was gorgeous and i got here and it was socked in and then the next day, the clouds parted and we get sun to record all this. But thank you for having me. This is, we're really excited about this. This is one of our favorite and most packed series uh, of the year. And we've got some upgrades. We've got some, got some tricks in the bag for the, for the listeners and watchers. And it's going to be good stuff, bigger and better than last year. Um, you know, I want to say, you know, welcome to the new boss, same as the old boss, except way different. <laughs> we used to sit at your kitchen table and do these, and we're essentially sitting at your kitchen table and doing these, but your kitchen table has changed. And it changed primarily because of all of you that watch the show and love the show and support the show and uh, all of your support. By the way, special announcement that I don't think we've actually got to confirm yet. Uh, all of your support is the reason why we now have a new sponsor, a title sponsor of the show that has fully funded the show for two years. Two years. Like, we're doing this for at least two more years 
because Underdog Fantasy stepped up and said, we believe in you, we believe in the audience, uh, go do something cool with all of this money and, and please don't stop making shows. And uh, I'm speechless, I really am. Like I didn't think we were gonna get here this quickly, but I mean, fucking bootleggers stepped up, man. Yeah, and it is because of the audience and you continuing to show up kind of no matter what we make. And my favorite part of that whole interaction was, we don't really want to mess with what you're doing. Yeah. Just keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome and just do more. And we were like, okay. We could do more. Great. <laughs> and they said, great. And yeah, we now have a title primary sponsor for the next two years, which feels very surreal, but also incredibly awesome it's going to come with more work but i mean i don't think people will complain about more content so uh get ready for every weekday for the next two months a new episode coming out on a new team or covering a division in general and then we got preseason then we got regular season we're going to the super bowl we're going back to all-star games we're trying to figure out uh the most entertaining way for us to get to detroit for the draft we're working on some special <laughs> plans for that but we have a lot of shit coming up over the next year uh, and once again, use if you want to reward Underdog for, for keeping us alive, please, the best way to support us is to support our sponsors. So if you are interested in playing Best Ball Drafts, where they have a $15 million prize pool going on right now for Best Ball Mania 4, and summer's the best time to draft for it because right now is when you're going to get the best value on a mm -hmm. whole bunch of underrated players, which we'll go over later. Uh, or even if you do pickups during the season, not just for football, but for any sport. Again, best way to support us uh, and to show some love to our sponsors is to use our promo code bootleg. They will match your deposit up to a hundred dollars. Uh, and yeah, I, I can't fucking believe we, we did this. No, nope, we did it. off and running. A <laughs> uh, couple guys in a kitchen table talking about football turns into, oh, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> and can't thank them enough. Uh, love the team over there. They're fantastic. They're excited. We're excited. And it's, uh, it's a new day. It's a new day. Uh, also a new day for the Bears. Yes. What a segue, EJ. I'm a fucking pro. <laughs> New day for the Bears, uh, 2023. Look it up. Uh, little little recap of, of 2022. Um, not great, Bob. Not well, great. but we, as you talked about in the open, not great with good reason, right? Yes. They had a plan. Ryan Poles' plan was to tear it all down, get every possible bad dollar off the books from the previous regime and really set the bears up for 2023. So yeah, 2022 was rough in a lot of ways. It was entertaining and they got a little bit closer, I think, to winning some of those games than they maybe even wanted to. So they had to, you know, insert Trevor Simeon here to keep things cooled <laughs> down, keep that first pick. You wouldn't say that they were tanking. No, no. But, and they needed a little assist from patron saint, former patron saint of Chicago, Lovey Smith, yeah. to keep things intact. They got that. But overall results in 2022 for the Bears, uh, this is history, but we need to go over it. Overall, 3-14, and 14, fourth in the division in the NFC North, home record of 2-7, and seven, away record of, got to be better than that, right? Nope, 1-7, and seven, uh, and 0-5 oh and in the last five games, slid uh, appropriately into the end of the season and the first overall pick, which we'll talk about how they used all that. Um, but I mentioned at the top that we had something new for you, and what we really wanted to do was try and put all that in a numbers perspective, try and, try and frame how good a team was at being a football team over the course of a year. And we went back and forth about how we could really do that. What we came up with is an effectiveness summary. And we're gonna use EPA per play. 
as the baseline for most of those measurements. And we're gonna do EPA per play for offense, both running and passing, and EPA per play against running and passing on defense. So we're gonna have those four numbers, and then you gotta score points and keep the other team from scoring points to win as a football team. So points scored and points allowed. We're gonna take those six numbers and put them out for every team. And then we're gonna compare team to team and division to division. So the effectiveness summary for the Bears, and we'll have this up on screen, the rushing offense surprisingly was second overall in the league. Maybe not that surprising when your quarterback's 220 and runs 4-4, but. Nice to have a wild card in Justin, but it was more than that. They were a wildly effective running team, which is, Really crazy because they weren't wildly effective at anything else on the football field. So their rushing offense EPA per play, second in the league. Their passing offense EPA per play, 28th in the league. And that passes the eye test. It wasn't great. On defense, rushing defense, 27th in the league. They allowed a lot, which explains their draft strategy, and we'll talk about that. Pass defense in terms of coverage, dead last, 32nd in the league. EPA against. So 2, 28, 27, 32 for the EPA measurements throughout. And then points scored, scored 326 points, which was 23rd in the league. And points allowed 463 dead last in the league at 32nd. So the Bears, if you're looking at this effectiveness summary and saying, how good were they at doing the things you need to do to be a good football team? The answer is not great, Bob. Like they were good running the ball and not really good at anything else compared to all their peers. And that gives a pretty accurate summary. And as we move through these, you're going to see that that number pretty well reflects how a team worked out in the end. And some of the things we talked about last year about, hey, maybe this team is a little bit of fool's gold. Maybe they're going to regress because they won a lot of close games. Effectiveness summary is really going to help us like condense that at the top for that each really team. It really felt like a shot at the Vikings. It really did. It so was. <laughs> it, it felt like that because it was. Yeah. Let's clarify. And then on top of that, I was like, how can we make this even more digestible? How can we make this even more meaningful for every team? So I came up with something I'm calling the bootleg power score. And we took those six numbers and averaged them. And that means we will have some that overlap because teams will trade ranks in different categories. But overall, the number for an entire season, 17 game season, is pretty representative of how a team does. So the bootleg power score for the 2022 Bears is 24. And again, this is like golf score. If you're number one, you're the best. We're not truly going to have any number ones because that would mean a team averaged number one in, everything. in every yeah. category. That's not going to be the case. But the lower the number in the bootleg power score, the closer to the top of the rankings you are. So eh, I'd say pretty representative that the Bears were 24th. I was even surprised it was even that high. Well, that's the thing is if you take out the rushing offense, <laughs> it's probably... 30 is like 26 or 28 <laughs> yeah. it's it's right down where everybody expected to and again that rushing number surprises a lot of people surprised me i didn't realize they were second overall in epa per play running the ball last year but again it was the one thing that they were good at this year completely different but that gives us a pretty good picture of where they were in 2022 and why they made a lot of the moves that we're going to talk about moving into 2023 they looked at those numbers too and went hmm, all those have to come up or we can't compete so I also pulled my own numbers to give 
context to your numbers because I feel <laughs> like I feel like there's over encompassing you know ways to statistically look at a football team and then there's the the micro stats that explain why they were shit at almost everything but also great at like one thing one thing so I pulled a whole bunch of uh, of different schematic stats like these are to me a lot of the numbers that define how they played from a schematic perspective the type of coverages they ran uh, the type of fronts they used, uh, you know, how often they would bring pressure because they had to, um, <laughs> you know, the types of runs they used, you know, how their passing offense generally functions. These are kind of like micro stats that give context. So we're going to start with coverages. And again, these are all numbers between the 20s because red zone numbers are wildly different. Skewed. Defense and offense in general is played way different in the red zone because it's compressed space. In terms of between the 20s, that's where A, most plays are, and B, because of the amount of space, different types of coverages are played. So between the 20s, uh, they called uh, cover zero, which is basically all out pressure with everybody out on an island. 1.1% of the time, they were 21st. They didn't do that a whole lot. Uh, This is not a Brian Flores type of defense, to say the least. Uh, Cover one. Meaning single high safety, man covered across the board, about 20, uh, 20.7%, uh, 17th, so about dead average. Cover two, 23.6%, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but relative to the rest of the league, that is a shitload. That was second in the NFL in terms of the amount of cover two. We'll get into Tremaine Edmonds a little bit more later, but that's <laughs> why they got Tremaine Edmonds is because they really want to run even more cover two than that. And I, I don't think that they felt Roquan was the correct fit for that type of, of uh, coverage. Cover three, 32.3%, uh, 19th. A lot of teams run a hell of a lot more cover three than that. Uh, quarters. It's going to be interesting because we're so used to like the Vic Fangio style defense. And I mean, Vic Fangio himself was in Chicago not too long ago. And they ran quarters all the time. Like that was their identity. They drafted for that type of defense. They ran at 29th in the NFL at about 5%. You know? So this is not a Vic Fangio-style defense. Uh, and then quarter, quarter, half, about 7.8%. And uh, quarter, quarter, half is you're running quarters on one side, half field safety to the other. It's a common way that defenses like to address uh, trips, looks. Some run half, quarter, quarter, where it's half to the passing strength, quarter to the backside if they want a double team. Right. Um, Vikings did that a lot. It did not go well for them at all, running half, quarter, quarter. But again, we'll get to that in the Vikings episode. Uh, and then two-man or cover five, if you speak uh, Sabanese, they ran less than 1% of the time. So looking overall at, at how they run their coverages, they want to be a similar type of defense to the mid-2000s Bears. And that's actually a big reason why I made that cover three slash Tampa two episode over on the other channels. I wanted to give context for this Bears episode for what they want to be. They want to be the Lovey Smith defense all over again, playing cover three on early downs, stop the run, run Tampa two on passing downs, suffocate people with coverage. And then hopefully they can get pressure with four. They don't have Tommy Harris. <laughs> they don't have anybody remotely like that defensive line yeah. in the mid 2000s, but they eventually want to get to that which I think is why they made a lot of the acquisitions they did. Yeah, I would agree. And in terms of moving on from Roquan and, and getting into Tremaine we'll talk about that. But it's really they wanted a slightly more athletic player in the deep 
half for passing for cover two. And there's the financial piece. And uh, our good buddy Brad Spielberger over PFF has talked about this extensively. It's basically replaced Roquan for the money he wanted, for less than the money he wanted with a player that is even more athletic in in the sort of mid to deep third mm-hmm. that's going to allow them to run their you know preferred coverage. So you got sort of the same but better for what you want to do for less. And overall, when you look at that from Paul's perspective, um, and younger, mm-hmm. that's that's a king kind of move for a for a relatively new GM to say, this is what we want to do. That's close, but this is better, cheaper, younger, and we can have it for longer. There was a rep that Tremaine had last year. And I think it was against Miami. I can't remember the exact team it was against. And they ran Tampa two and he got a PBU. Um because he just has the length to. And I, I swear to God, they saw that one play and was like, that's it. That's the thing. That's what we want to do. That's our guy. Well, if you can't have Fred Warner, you know, yeah. which you can't. You because can't. Because <laughs> he signed a huge contract and he's very happy where he is. You look at the market, you know, both free agency and the draft, because teams stack those things up and say, if we want to do this, this this pole runner, this guy is a key cock. We've got to have it. And they had that in her locker and, you know, to to quote another NFL coach, Brian Erlacher's not walking through those doors, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to get that. So what out of those two areas where we can get talent, can we get that's going to help us do that? And they looked and it is the reason that they struck early and paid a big deal for. And it was the very first thing they did in free agency was we want Tremaine Edmonds because, and this these numbers hopefully help you explain that move. If you thought linebacker, like that's not the first thing you need. Maybe it was. If you want to run this type of defense, it kind of is. Yeah. It doesn't function without him. Now, looking at blitz percentage, uh, specifically on third down situations, you know, pass rush downs. Again, between the 20s, because both your own and the other team's red zone are whole different ballgames. Between the 20s, third down situations, blitz percentage. And I broke this up by distance because there's third and shorts, there's third and mediums, there's third and longs. And they're all, each, every team has different ways they like to approach blitzes in different downs and distances. Third and short, they pretty much didn't bring pressure at all. And a lot of teams will bring pressure on third and short specifically to get bodies in the backfield uh, that bring blitzes against the run specifically. The Bears were not a team that did that. Uh, only did about 10.5% of the time. Uh, third and medium, they blitzed a lot, 42.9% of the time. That was eighth in the league, probably because they didn't really believe in their front four to get pressure on their own. They were correct. Uh, and then also 42.9% on third and seven plus. That was ninth in the NFL. Overall third down stunt percentage, which is when you're either rushing four or you're bringing five, right. you know, how often are you running stunts and twists and all that kind of stuff and just kind of using movement to create angles for your guys? Or are you just saying, this is your rush lane, go get them? 48.4% stunt percentage on third down, which was 10th. They pulled out every stop to try to get pressure because they knew they couldn't do it with four. Still didn't work super great. And again, I think that informed a lot of their draft strategy was, we got to get young, athletic pass rushers that can just go win. Because if they want to run all this Tampa 2 stuff, they're going to have to win with four, and they just couldn't do it last year. Yeah, there's the there's the schematic part of this for every team, and then there's the Jimmy's and Joe's part, right? Jimmy's and Joe's versus X's and O's is the classic footballism, mm-hmm. right? They they tried the X's and O's part. Yeah. 
<laughs> they, they threw everything they had at the wall to see what they could get because their Jimmys and Joes weren't good enough. And they knew that. Again, there's a reason for that. We talk about that at the top, why that was. But they knew that. So they, like you said, pulled out every stop to try and generate pressure. Still didn't work, but you can't fault them for just kind of saying, nope, we're going to run our system, right? I guess we just need better guys. They knew they needed better guys, but they tried to help them in every way that they could. They just didn't have the horsepower. Mm -hmm. And so the mission for Poles and the entire staff moving into this year was go get horsepower, right? We have the most free agency money available. We have a ton of draft picks. We got even more because we eventually leveraged that first overall pick. We need horses on defense. We got to get more dudes that are more talented and we have lots of holes and we got to fill a lot of them. So they did some of that in free agency. We'll talk about that. Some more of that in the draft and really getting towards that with a big focus on defense. And it's again, because of those numbers, they knew they had Justin. Uh, there was a lot of question about whether or not they believed. I think if you look at their offseason strategy, it is a hundred percent that they believed in him. Probably had that conversation with him very early, mm -hmm. but not outside because it wasn't to their benefit. But they were running with Justin, yeah. and they were going to build around him and give him this year. So we'll talk about the additions on offense and defense. But in terms of acquisition and free agency in the draft, it was defense, 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 defense. And yeah, we'll go get offense through trades, and and we'll add a little bit of offense later on. But we're we need to build that side of the ball because of those effectiveness numbers we talked about at the top. They were terrible <laughs> and they needed to get, they didn't need to get to the top of that table. They needed to get to the middle and then surround Justin with, with talent. We'll talk about how they did that. Uh, now run concept frequency. This is uh, again, very indicative of the type of quarterback that Justin is and the skills that he brings to the table. You know, you would think with the coaching lineage of Luke Getze, like we thought going into the year, it's like, oh, there's going to be a lot of outside zones, going to be under center, all that kind yeah. of stuff. It ended up being kind of more similar to uh, what the Eagles were doing with Jalen Hurts, um, where it was more inside zone heavy. They were sixth in inside zone at 31%. Outside zone, they were 17th at 21%. They really stuck more with the inside zone component of a zone heavy run game. Uh, they were 18th in running duo. They were 29th in power. They were 26th in counter. Uh, you know, draw was a 2%, which is 15th because people don't typically run draws. But again, that was with. Justin, mostly. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, pin and poles, which can be, uh, I mean, pin and poles kind of an umbrella term, but yeah. like you think of like G lead, right? Where the tack was blocking down, the guards pulling out. Um, they were 15th. So when they wanted to get to the edge, they were more calling pin and poles. They weren't calling outside zone. And to me, that's very indicative of, of the type of quarterback that Justin is. And I mean that in a good way, in the sense of, we don't want to put him under center and just run like 18 toss or whatever uh, and, and you know do the Kyle Shanahan type outside zone run game because he can move. We would rather him be in shotgun and us running zone reads and us having a bunch of inside zone stuff and you know using him on counter, using him on draw, uh, you know having him be a threat to keep it on mm -hmm. all the pin and pull stuff. Why would we waste him by putting him under center? You know, so I, I think that these numbers indicate the type of run game that they are going to continue to be with both Justin and Khalil and Roshan this year. And I don't think that we're going to see a Shanahan style run game here because why would you? Well, Shanahan had success with mobile quarterbacks as well. Um, doing this type of stuff yeah, with, with RG3, right? Yeah. It definitely has a sort of closer in 
power mall or focus with the addition of a very mobile quarterback, which is really interesting. I mean, if you're going to draw attention, you're going to have him moving or rolling one way, and then you're going to line those five guys up and hammer people. And again, we're going to see that in terms of their offseason acquisition, in terms of how they built the offensive line, who they went and got for the running back room to replace David Montgomery because they were going to let him go and get his deal somewhere else. It It's a fascinating, like, almost roadmap, right? When you take, this is what we did in terms of numbers. This is how it worked in terms of numbers. This is where we want to go. Mm-hmm. How do we build the bridge between here and there, both in, in scheme and in personnel? Now, uh, last little uh, stat dump for you here. This is the passing offense overview. Again, very indicative of the type of passing game they had to be because of the talent that was around Justin. Um, And again, a lot of these numbers kind of inform their offseason strategy. They were uh, 33% play action, which is fourth because they were like, dear God, we can't pass protect unless there's play action to try to slow these guys down. Um, Average time to throw. Which is an interesting stat because I think people take it out of context a lot. But 3.41 seconds, average time to throw. That is not because Justin is not processing. That is because Justin was running for his life and extending the play enough where his average time to throw was 3.41. And that was that was the slow, quote unquote, slowest by far. Longest. <laughs> Let's just call it longest. But it's really more of a... Justin's athletic enough to survive 3.41 seconds on average. Uh, Now, these numbers, I think, are also very indicative of how little help he had with the receiving court because his air air yardage percentage, I should say, the percentage of passing yards that were through the air, not after the catch, was 56.2%. That's 10th. They didn't really get a whole lot of yak help, which is what they drafted Bayless Jones to do, and it just hasn't. Yeah. hasn't worked out well um average depth of target how often are you throwing down the field right average depth of target is 10.2 yards that is third in the nfl yep. he was bombing it down there and hoping yep. guys would catch it and they didn't um big time throw percentage 3.5 percent which is 19th Again, we want to see that go higher but considering the receiving core that he was working with deep down the field yeah kind of understand that that wasn't going to be super high, but we did see him throw some absolute dimes, even with the limited weapons he had. Uh, And then yards per attempt, 6.9, which is 23rd, tied for 23rd. But when you see how often he threw down the field, how long he had to hold on to the ball for guys to get open, how much work he had to do to avoid pass rushes while guys were trying to get open, all of those first five stats give a lot of context for the last one which is it was justin fields versus the world and he didn't have help now he does all of those first five numbers i think well most of them will stay probably roughly the same oh hopefully the time to throw goes down because better protection but i think the last number ypa is going to be a freaking rocket ship this year because he actually has help yeah, I don't know that there's overall, I know all of these numbers can be overwhelming when we sort of we're trying to break them down and give them context so that we can talk about their acquisitions again with a purpose, with a plan, with a roadmap. But there may not be a candidate in the league for a greater change between all of these 2022 numbers, the effectiveness, the splits, the you know the air yards, everything 
than the Bears, between mm-hmm. the 2022 Bears and the 2023 Bears, because the 2022 Bears were on purpose. And they weren't great on purpose. 2023 Bears are going to try and be as good as they can on purpose. And we're going to see a lot of things shift pretty dramatically because of personnel, because of maturation of the offense and Justin Fields and Getze and, you know, better protection and more help and real weapons. You talked about how many times he had to run back and forth and back and forth between the hash marks three times before launching some bomb into a window that was this big, Mm -hmm. right? Because nobody could get open. That's going to change this year. We're going to talk about the reasons why. But in terms of just net change between all of these stats, 2022 to 2023, I don't think there's a, a candidate for like, comeback team of the year if you want to call it that that is in a greater pole position than the bears are or at least in terms of like most win improvement right yeah and i would just say sort of most improvement overall for a lot of these things sliced down wins a lot of variables come into that can be defensive points can be bad tipped interceptions but in terms of when you go a full 17 game season and you look at these numbers again 2023 is not going to look like 2022 no god no uh, now, we are in year two of this regime. Um, so far, I would say returns are exciting, but we don't really have results yet. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as our resident lifelong Bears fan, why don't you take us through uh, the regime at large from top to bottom? Yeah, I think the most exciting thing in year two is they had a plan. It was very clear and they stuck to it. They didn't deviate. That was a difficult thing to do, to to get rid of Roquan, to trade Khalil Mack, to do all that and really sort of hold the line for, I'm going to clear the books. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult and painful thing to do. It's ripping the Band-Aid off all at once. And Ryan Poles was resolute. And when I got to meet him at Shrine Bowl and I said, hey, you know, this is who I am and this is what I do. And I'm a fan of your work. And he was like, oh, really? And I was like, I get it. Like, I know what you're doing. You didn't tell me you talked to him. Yeah. He shook his hand. He was watching one-on-ones versus uh, offensive line, defensive line. Of course he was. Yeah. yeah I mean, <laughs> for good reason. Yeah. Um, but he was by himself. And when he was, uh, again, shift between team periods, they sound the horn and guys run and guys walk. And he was walking by himself. And I was like, well, if there's a shot, yeah. like, shoot or shoot, this is it. I'm not interrupting anything. He's not with his scouts or, you know, with anybody else. And I just walked up and said, hey, this is who I am. Shook his hand. We walked together for 30 seconds. And I just said, I'm a fan of your work. And you know, oh, really? <laughs> I was like, no, I actually am. I know what you're doing. Like, and it's a hard thing to do. And so far, you're doing it well. So I think that's the most exciting thing is that they stuck to the plan. So Ryan Poles, year two as GM. Matt Eberflus, of course, came over from Colts. Year two as head coach, again, holding, a, 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 I would say, a pretty strong handshake or synergy between the two. They seem to be working really well. They both understand the same plan. They're both on the same timeline. Their deals are synced. Like, it is a very strong coach-GM relationship. Like you said, results, we'll see. This is really the year, the rubber meets the road year. But in terms of setting themselves up and holding firm, so far, so good. Coordinators. Luke Getze, also in year two, uh, you know, came over from the Packers famously. Uh, people were really excited about what the pass game could bring because people are always excited. Hope springs eternal in Chicago that there will be a pass game and that it will be at least league average. 
there just weren't the horses, especially in the wide receiver game. And and people kept saying, you know, every time somebody gets released, sign him, sign him, sign him. No, we have a plan. We're going to go get one. Turns out to be DJ Moore through a bunch of machinations. Man, but you just skipped right over the Chase Claypool. <laughs> nope, it's more. Like, they did build with Claypool. We'll talk about that. But gets you in year two. Again, We're I think we're going to see a much cleaner representation of what he has planned and what he can do because he has tools to run it now. And that's not just more. It's more and Claypool and a second tight end and, and a lot of other things. And a little bit of time to throw with the offensive line. All those things work together. Allen Williams in year two. Look, we knew the secondary. They drafted secondary last year. We knew the secondary was going to be good. And the rest of it was kind of like, I don't know. It's going to be a question mark. And then, of course, they get rid of Quinn and Mac, And we're like, well, no pass rush for this year. And, you know, they trade Rokon as well. And then it's down to Jack Sanborn versus the world versus in the front seven for the last half of last year. Again, we're going to get a much clearer picture of what Allen Williams can do with a fuller slate of talent this year. And then Richard Hightower comes back in year two for special teams. Um, don't envy his job with the new kickoff rules. Uh, it feels like... I hate that, by it, the way. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan. It feels very much like... Um, hamstringing those guys and really special teams with all the limits that are placed on OTAs and practices and, and contact like special teams is a place for young players to develop. We talked about this with Matt Bowen. I know Matt has to hate this oh, yeah. because he's like the best live action you can get to start moving up to one of the primary units, offense or defense is special teams, mm -hmm. full speed reps where you're, you know, breaking down, blocking, tackling, shedding blocks. These are all really basic skills and now folks will get even less of it. So, um, you know, Richard Hightower, it's like, I'm gonna sort of reserve judgment on all the special teams coordinators, but um, seemed to do a fine job last year. They were not great, uh, but they were not terrible and they've been far worse in previous years. So in general, it feels like we're just gonna get a cleaner evaluation across the board for not only Poles' plan and Eberflus's overall leadership, but all these coordinators are now gonna have the tools to go you know, see what they can build in this garden of Chicago and, and whether or not that's going to bloom, we'll see. But this feels like a more fair evaluation year. Uh, in terms of assistant coaches, have, uh, again, we're not going to talk about every single assistant, mm -hmm. but there's a, there's a few interesting ones on the Bears staff. Um, Dave Borgonzi, I'm really interested to see what he's going to do with this new linebacking core because... Yeah. Like I don't like, and again, I love Sandboard. I don't even think Sandboard's gonna start. Like I don't think he's even gonna be. If he starts, it'll be as a Sam, which but is, at best, which is really you know, again nickel being the new base. Sam doesn't quote unquote happen a lot, but Sandboard's skill set fits really well as a Sam. He's just not gonna play a lot because Sams don't play a lot. But I think that's a good thing. They didn't like fall victim to the siren song of like, oh, he's an undrafted free agent and he's from the Big Ten and we love him and you got to keep and playing he's scrappy. him. Scrappy. Yeah, they were yeah. like. He's really good. He did an amazing job in the back half. That's not good enough. We need to do better. And they didn't sort of up it once. They upped it twice. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really curious to see what Borgazzi does with these guys because it's a very athletic, rangy, you know, There's no core. better thing, isn't it, as a position coach than this happening, right? Your GM goes, by the way, I'm going to get you Tremaine Edmonds. And you're like, oh, wow, great. By the way, I'm going to get you TJ Edwards too. And you're like, Okay, <laughs> you know, going from like sack lunch to like the full table laid out in front of him, it's got to be super exciting for him. So John Hoke's another guy that, again, probably had the fullest table 
last year in terms of, hey, we drafted some secondary and there were some good existing players and we didn't trade them away. He gets another piece this year. So watching what John Hoke's going to be able to do in the back end, again, with some pass rush in front of him, I, I have even greater hopes for him. I've, I've liked what he was able to create, even scrapping along last year without a pass rush. This year gets another player and some pass rush. He, you know, he and Dave Borgonzi are probably rubbing elbows in the defensive meeting room like, hey, what'd you get? A lot. What'd you get? A lot. So that'll be fun. On the offensive side, Chris Morgan on the offensive line, probably more focus on him than most other assistant coaches in the NFL, period, in terms of position coaches, because if the offensive line doesn't go in front of Justin, none of this other stuff yeah, really no, matters. Nothing else matters. And he's yeah. got a high pick to do it in Darnell Wright. We'll talk about that. He's got a high free agency pickup in Nate Davis to be able to, again, fill that line. He has a, a you know an experienced center moving back to that position. Like The pieces are there, but proof's in the pudding, right? That's paper versus grass. What his units are able to do on grass is really going to drive where Chicago goes. And then Toy Tolbert, uh, the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach, he has real weapons this year. Like he has real passing targets to say, hey, you want me to coordinate a passing game? That's cool. I had a quarterback last year, but no protection and no targets. This year, I have upgraded protection. Thanks, Chris. And I have real targets. Now it's on me. And we're going to, again, get a cleaner picture of what a true passing game could look like with Justin at the helm because he has real targets. He's going to get guys that separate. He has um, progressions that he can go through that isn't like maybe should be an NFL starter, uh, borderline third options of practice squad guy. Like essentially that was last year's progression. And this year it's, you know, bona fide guy, can be a pro bowler, um, you know, Solid NFL starter, solid NFL starter, guy with potential and upside. Like it's a real target set. And I'm I'm excited to see what it's gonna bring. We only wanted to see that last year, but when you really looked at what they did at the wide receiver position, you were like, oh, they're they're not gonna do that this year. Well, given all that information, you know, before we dive into the entire free agency hall and the entire draft class, uh, I do want to zoom in on Justin himself as well as the 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 weapons that they acquired, mm -hmm. especially from a, a fantasy lens, because, hey, Underdog Fantasy is our sponsor now. Um, and I kind of want to talk about the new group that he has to throw to okay. in detail. Now, Justin himself, from from a fantasy perspective, is going as QB5. He's like 42 and a half is his ADP in Underdog Drafts right now. So people are pricing in everything for him already because yeah. they're like, he was already wildly effective and wildly productive with his legs, which is super, super huge in fantasy. And they're also saying, oh, he's going to be a better you know, thrower this year, too. Um, and so if you're trying to value hunt with uh, Bears offensive players at all, unfortunately, it's not going to be with Justin no. because he's probably going to be a top five or six quarterback. You're not really getting value by taking him. It's more so of a confirmation of, yeah, he's going to be good. Yeah, people are anticipating that. If you want to value hunt, you know, if you're doing best ball draft and you're going for that, you know, $15 million prize pool, DJ Moore is at 47.5 ADP, which is wide receiver 26. So he's going not as a wide receiver one or wide receiver two in best ball drafts right now. And he's going to be the number one passing option in this offense. So if Justin's going super high, not just because he runs a lot, but because we know he's going to be a much better passer this year with a lot more help. 
how is the number one receiving target in an offense that we think is going to be really productive with a lot of trips to the red zone? We know touchdowns are king. How is the number one option going as like a wide receiver three? Like it, that doesn't make sense to me. So if I'm value hunting with the Bears, it's going to be with DJ Moore. Uh, Mooney's going as a wide receiver 57. Like, and I understand that because, look, he was injured last year. He didn't mesh with the new passing game. And Justin, he he personally, by all accounts, meshed with Justin. That's always important. Yeah. Talk about chemistry. And, like, look, if quarterbacks don't like wide receivers for whatever reason, they don't throw to him. That wasn't the case. It was, again, scheme and injury. So people have just kind of forgotten about how good Darnell Mooney is as a player. And I think a lot of folks are going to wake up from their slumber in the first, I don't think it's going to be the first game or two even. I really think it's going to be like the first five or six weeks cumulatively. They're going to be like, oh, that's right. He was good when he was healthy. And now he's got better mesh, more time. He He's not the only guy. I mean, running. that's the other thing is running Darnell Mooney out as a wide receiver one. Really not, suppresses yeah, not his gonna value. work. Yeah. yeah, but he's a super high end two. Yeah, and he may even be three in this offense, depending on where they look. One twenty six point five wide receiver fifty seven. He's going in the eleventh like, round. Uh, people are just sleeping on it, and I and I love that. If you're talking about value hunting, I really think he is that rebound candidate on the Bears for sure. Now, looking at the running back duo, because this is where a lot of people, myself included, are kind of like struggling to figure out you know pre-camp keep in mind we're recording this june 3rd whatever this is you know so it's coming out well before training camp even starts anyway but we are betting it's going to be more of a 50 50 split than maybe people thought on draft night and now you're starting to see the the adps for both khalil and roshan kind of reflect that because khalil's going as rb40 roshan's going as rb45 you know 122.7 to 142 adp so they're pretty close yep because I think people are trying to figure out exactly what the split's going to be. I will say this, and I'd say this as somebody who loves Khalil Herbert. Mm-hmm. Roshan could very easily be the week one starter. Just considering the skill set that he brings. We know this is not a predominantly outside zone team. They more focus on banging it inside with inside zone. I kind of get the sense that Roshan is a better fit for the type of run game they want to build. And Khalil is going to be more of the slash part of slash and bash. And bash Mm -hmm. is going to have a capital B. And so in terms of red zone looks, I bet Roshan. In terms Mm -hmm. of third down looks, considering Roshan as a pass protector, I'd bet Roshan. Not to mention Deontay Foreman's there too. He's going to steal a little bit here and there. But God, it just hurts me to say because I love Herbert so much. Mm -hmm. I do feel like Roshan might be a better schematic and stylistic fit for the type of offense they want to build and so if i'm value hunting again i'm getting him at rb45 and khalil's at rb40 and i kind of feel like roshan might be the guy here i would rather wait until god what is the 14th 15th round at pick 142 whatever the math is on that yep to get maybe the starting running back on a top two rushing offense per epa like I don't know. All that just screams value to me. So yeah. if I'm doing best ball right now, I'm going after Roshan late. And I have been, by the way, in every single best ball draft I've done because I can get him so late. 
Yeah, I got accused of of putting this video first just so I could gush about Roshan. <laughs> they were like, this is just a grand scheme to get EGA to gush about Roshan, which I'm fine with because I love Roshan. Uh, but the fact that their value is evening out, I appreciate the sort of top thing that is that is not fantasy, jumping out of the fantasy realm for a minute, even though this is a fantasy segment, is I love the Bears running back room. Oh, it's like, awesome. There's no bad answer. Yeah. Um, Apparently, Khalil Herbert has heard everybody, I'm including coaches, saying, hey, pass protection is the thing that we need you to get better at. He was not a good pass protector. If you're going to play more, you got to get better at that. And he's been focusing on that this offseason. And in the time of everyone's in the best shape of their life, like he's improving, <laughs> he's doing boxing drills, and, and former Bears running backs are saying, that's what I did. He's going to be great. We'll see. Proof's in the pudding. But if he does... It just makes them all more interchangeable, and it goes back to those numbers you gave in the beginning. That's where the contact sort of ties this all together. Hey, they were more inside power running, whether that's inside zone, duo, pin and pull. like. And Roshan generally is a better tackle breaker. Khalil is more explosive. But then John Foreman over the last eight weeks of last year was completely indistinguishable from Nick Chubb. Like he was literally awesome. They were the same player. If you look at them statistically over the last eight weeks. So that's your running back room. Sign me up. That's even better than it was last year when they had Montgomery, who was very good. And Khalil Herbert, who we loved. This mix is even better from a fantasy perspective or a best ball perspective or anything else. It makes it more complicated because there's not a bad answer. It's not like, oh, this guy's definitely starting. Well, even if he starts, he might get what a 50% carry share at most at most when you're splitting it between that threesome and that's a great thing for the bears it's a tough thing for fantasy players it's going to come down to who's getting red zone touches that's literally what it is oh, it's it's who's going to get sure. the the six point chunks from red zone opportunities and i think it's going to be roshan yeah passing game will help that a little bit i think herbert is a slightly better or again more explosive option in the passing game he's going to get a few more of those targets but are those going to be at the cost of his rushing targets? Are those going to be at the cost of red zone touchdown targets? Likely. So again, it, it's, well, EJ, does that give us a clear answer? No, no. no. It gives you a very <laughs> muddy picture that is great for the Bears in a real world football sense and tough for fantasy players. Uh, now, looking at free agency losses, and boy, the word losses is... Is it's not. In, it's doing a lot of work. <laughs> it's here. doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, not really anybody. I'm. I'm sad about. It, it. Sadness isn't the word I would use. They had a lot of losses. There are going to be large amounts of turnover when any GM takes over for a period of years. Obviously, there was a huge slash and burn turnover both in trades and just flat out cuts last year. You're going to see that continue through this first full offseason um, after Ryan Poles takes over. That's a very traditional pattern of, you know, GMs and coaches reshaping their team for what they want it to be. And, and in this case, reshaping the financial landscape as well. Most of the financial was already out of the way. This is really about does this player fit as we move to can we get a better value? Can we get a player that's more skilled? There's a lot of losses in terms of notable losses. We talked about David Montgomery. He moved on. I think that was more of a financial decision. Hey, you're great, but we don't want to pay you as much as you can probably get, as Detroit ended up giving him. Oh, good cork sound. Elite cork sound. Oh. Um, so they let him go. Riley Reef, you know, didn't really work out. Um, Nicholas Morrow, I liked but didn't love. I wanted to like him even more. And look, he went and got Edmonds and Edwards, and that was your plan. 
I am not sad about Nicholas Morrow moving on uh, in that particular reality. DeAndre Houston Carson is an interesting one. I might, I think he actually might get signed late again to come in to help on special teams, even with the devaluation of special teams. And he played on the primary defense better, I think, than a lot of people saw or expected. He's just been a great sort of glue guy. Yeah. Um, and he's not going to cost anything. No, it's going to um, be like a million. Yeah. Maybe. Al-Kadim Muhammad, I'm actually glad he's moved on. He felt very much like a, hey, I'm Alan Williams. I'm bringing him along from my previous system to help coach on the field. But, I'm, you know, I hope he brings some run stopping and pass rush. The answer is he really brought neither. He was ineffective and got outplayed by much younger players. Again, sadness is not the word I would use for describing his moving on from the Bears. And that's about it. Like Armand Watts, I think, was a sneaky good, you know, pick up as a cast off of the Vikings. But again, it was like a fill in the holes type of piece. I would have been happy if they retained him for a small deal. But the fact that he moves on to the Steelers, like, again, sadness isn't the word. It's more just, hey, we're finishing out. It's almost like that pile of scraps you have when you're done remodeling a place. It's like, hey, you were useful while we were doing this, but we have shiny new stuff that we're putting up. Like, it's okay if you move along. Most of these guys got smaller deals to move on outside of Montgomery. Yeah, sadness isn't the word I would use describing this. It's more like, eh, it's kind of expected. Uh, in terms of who they brought back, much smaller list. You know, they brought back Nathan Peterman. Uh, you know, okay, woo. I was actually sad about that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, uh, I, would, that I, I wouldn't have done about. it, but yeah. okay, fine. Yeah, uh, Dante Pettis. <laughs> I'm still a Dante Pettis truther after all this time. I'm just waiting for it to hit. We're like seven years in. Yep, it'll happen eventually. Yeah, uh, Kari Blasen game. Who's in? I'd, I'd say he's a fine fullback. Yeah, uh, they just they don't use him that right. much, but they brought him back. And then the one that I want to highlight, uh, Josh Blackwell, I don't really have anything, you know, I, I don't have a long-winded opinion on Blackwell just because I know with their current corner room, he's going to be probably CB4 for them, you know, if they're bringing out like a dime group yeah. or whatever whatever coin is above dime. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they're, if they're putting five corners in the field, he'll be out there just because they have so many guys now. Uh, but... Uh, did I tell you that my wife works with his dad? You did, and I forgot. Yeah. That's crazy. Shout you out, did, Joe. Uh, <laughs> you did mention that. You raised a good kid. It. I'm happy he's still with Chicago. Yeah. Uh, he's in a great He's in a great room with a good DB room. coach. Yeah. And I'm happy to see him uh, still in Chicago. Got a job. Yeah. The only guy I highlighted on that whole list was Pettis as a, again, contribute, but so much farther down the list. Our expectations are so much lower, and they should be. And that's like appropriate as opposed to last year. It was like, oh, he could be a speed threat. Well, if you're a truther, maybe. The only other guy that I even have a passing interest in on that list is uh, Dieter Eisland. They, they list him as left guard. He has center flexibility, and I like him for that reason. In reality, he's probably a practice squad guy, especially with the upgrades on the offensive line. Like is great. He has a ton of power. I'll be interested to see how he develops, but I'm so glad they're not like counting on him. Yeah. And again, we're talking about an $870,000 deal to bring him back. It's, you know, it's camp, it's depth, it's, it's, it's depth. practice squad. It's depth. Like, I like him as a player, but it, there's nobody on this list at all that makes me go, oh, yeah, man, they needed that guy. And there are on a lot of other teams' lists, not on the Bears. Uh, now, in terms of additions, this is really where they spent all their money, right? It was it was bringing in well, almost help, all their almost money. all their money. <laughs> it was bringing in help. Yeah. Um, Tremaine, we talked about earlier. You know, they brought him in because they're like they we really want to run cover two, and we can't do it without yeah that. T.J. Edwards, they brought him from the Eagles. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect it because I thought they were going to ride with Sanborn. Yeah, but 
I was all I was all for it, right? I think sure. it's gonna be a great fit for them. Uh, DJ Moore was the oh my god, thank you, you know, because we were thinking we knew they were gonna get out of one. Yeah, we didn't know how far down they were gonna go, and it was kind of like okay, if you're in the top ten, it's still gonna be early for the young yeah. receivers. Like maybe you could talk me into JSN or maybe. or Zay at like nine, right? Depending. Yeah, but it felt early. It felt early, but then all of a sudden when you know, they got all the picks from Carolina. It's like, oh, by the way, <laughs> DJ and, Moore. And know? it really, we'll talk about that for just a second because it wasn't, oh, by the way, this was targeted focus. If you, after this trade comes out and you go back and you sort of put the pieces together and what got said about it on both sides, Paul was like, yes, I will give you one, but you will give me DJ Moore. Like without DJ Moore, you don't get one. There's nobody else. There's not Brian Burns. There's not like a lot of other talented Panthers players. He was like, I need a wide receiver one and you have one. And let me be clear, this deal hinges on it. The point was DJ Moore. They had offers from other teams for one. All of them. But they didn't have an alpha that he could get that fit in his box of young enough, good enough contract control you know, not at the top end of the market. Like this is the master stroke of the off season. They needed an alpha and they got one that fit with youth, size, production, pay, like everything fit. And that's the reason people are like, well, they could have got more from Houston. Okay. Who are you going to get from Houston off the receiving core that fills that hole? You're not. And then you're going after nuke or somebody else to try and be your alpha that's a bit miscast dj moore is perfectly cast as an alpha apparently his relationship with with justin is growing and strong and he fits all the other categories like this is the master stroke of the offseason period they also got deontay foreman who well i love i want to clarify something when we say last half of the season he and nick chubb are indistinguishable we know nick chubb's better Yes. It, we're talking about statistically, like, he was killing everybody. Like, he, and, <laughs> and Nick was not bad. It's not one of those where you take a very popular player and no, go, no, well, no, they no. sagged and he was as good. And people go, yeah, but that's it, It's not. more so Deontay was producing like Nick Chubb. In right? that, and, and line for line, like, the stats are literally a mirror image. And I think most people don't think that because they weren't paying attention to the Panthers and, like, Wilkes was an interim coach. and But, like... That line got busy. It's a good, young, powerful line. It got even better in the offseason. But that line got busy, and Deontay Foreman got busy behind it. And it's we talk about this all the time, that running backs just need a chance. So many running backs in this league who are like, there are people like, yeah, but he's the third running back on the team. He's the fourth running back on the team. He can't be that good. And then guys go down with injury, and holy shit, he's really good. It's like they just need a chance. Deontay Foreman got his like primetime chance. They traded CMC, they had a line, and the team was like, we're going to be good at running. We're going to commit to this. And what you saw was a ton of production over the last half of the season. So couldn't be happier about his addition. I thought it was a, a sneaky, great addition. Uh, keeping it with uh, just importing the Panthers offense, they also brought in P.J. Walker, who I think is more of a more of a Justin backup than Peterman was. Yeah, slash hand in glove. Like you got somebody both on, on for scout teams to simulate – which is a really important role for backup quarterbacks to go out and simulate mobile quarterbacks. And PJ Walker's got some juice in his own right. Like if you're asking me who can go out and win a couple games, 
I would go P.J. Walker well before anybody the Bears have had a backup for the past couple of years. Uh, they also brought in Andrew Billings. Uh, you know, probably going to be nose for them, I would imagine. Yes. Uh, Travis Homer, pass protector extraordinaire, which, again, signals even more that I do not think Khalil's going to have our third down role because that's what Travis Homer does yep. is pass protect. If any of the top two or rather top three backs, you know, factoring in Foreman, is going to get third down work over Travis, I think it will be Roshan. But again, this is why all these running backs for the Bears are going so late. It's because nobody knows what the hell What's going is going to happen, <laughs> and we're going to wait till camp and preseason to figure that out. Um, Rasheem Green, they brought in from the Texans. Uh, Dylan Cole still kicking around. Uh, added with a little LB5 or whatever for them, which, you know, Dylan Cole's your LB5. You're doing fine. Yep. Special teamer. Uh, Demarcus Walker also came in from the Titans, and Nate Davis. That that was the big one from Tennessee. All the all the Tennessee imports bringing in Nate Davis yeah. to be a starting guard day one for them. Huge, uh, you know, the entire right side of the offensive line has been remade. We'll talk about Darnell when we get into the draft in the next segment. But uh, Nate Davis by himself, like the ten million, worth every penny if it just gives Justin a little bit more functional time in the pocket so that that time to throw at 3.41 isn't just him running around, but him <laughs> actually being able to sit there and read stuff out. Yeah, I agree. Nate Davis was, there's so many keys here, and it really was about, okay, can you stick the landing? Okay, so you cleared the books. Okay, so you have 100 million. That's great. What are you going to do with it? It's like, okay, so you have 13 draft picks. Are you going to hit them? Like, are you going to get good players? And that's the bottom line from free agency or the draft. Nate Davis, a huge addition. Um, you know, Andrew Billings, under the radar, but they needed that block in the middle. They had Angelo Blackson. They had they had some other guys that sort of held the line. They needed somebody to do that. That's what he does, right? He is absolutely going to be the block in the middle of that line, taking up double teams for downs one and two. Good value. They get him. Demarcus Walker apparently has been showing out a little bit at camp. Not a, not a ton. He's he was, always been a fun rotational guy. Yeah. And Again, is it like when you take away Al-Qadim Muhammad and, and look at replacing him with a guy like Demarcus Walker, you know, yeah, you're paying him seven million bucks, but is he going to be more effective? Early returns say mm, he might be. And you add him to Billings and you add him to the draft picks. We're going to talk about all of a sudden you go, ooh, the sum of the parts here is creating a much greater hole. And that's that's what I'm excited about. It doesn't feel like there's any like super wasteful spending in free agency. They filled holes they had to, and then they got things like P.J. Walker. Like, oh, yeah, it's a better fit at backup. Now, looking at the draft, uh, just screamed, we want to be able to do what we want to do, which right. was what they tried to do last year, right? We want to be able to run uh, cover two and rush with four. We don't want to have to blitz 43% of the time just to get any sort of rush. We want to be able to run 5-0 protection against, you know, a four down look yep. and not die five <laughs> on four. And they did it. Like, we want to be able to run cover two because Tyreek Stevens can sit, can sit there and just beat people up. Yeah. Looking at their draft class, it confirmed that they're not changing much schematically. They're just drafting guys that can run their scheme. Yeah, they are sticking with the plan here. And, you know, round one, pick 10, Darnell Wright, tackle out of Tennessee, was a guy that was connected with the Bears in the pre-draft process pretty regularly because he was the most natural, I think, right tackle out of the top three or four tackles. And 
it really felt like the Bears were going to stick with Braxton Jones at left and that they needed a right. And if you were going to do that and not do the whole, hey, we're going to swap sides thing, that Darnell Wright was the guy. But when they were at one, it was like that felt early. And then if you go too far down, you're not going to get him. How's this all going to work? It all works out. They go to nine, then they go to 10 in a trade with the Eagles. And he's there and it sort of just fits like role, value. Uh, there's a great story about the the Bears going out and putting him kind of through a torture test workout at Tennessee just to like, it was a smoke test, mm-hmm. right? It was just, can we make you quit? And he was like, nah, I ain't gonna. And they were like, all right, great, that'll fit. And so they get him, they get him in a good value. And then they have this really strong value block that you and I are both excited about on day two. 53, 56, and 64. We're like, this is draft power. And we were both a little sort of, Well, I the think, first two for me, yes. The second, last one. Yeah. Right, but just <laughs> when we were looking at that bunch of picks, we were like, this is a lot of capital. Like, they're going to look different. They're going to get top players. You know, you're talking about basically two top 50-ish players right on the border and then one just you know, 14 picks later at 64, you know, what are they going to come out of this with? And they do it. And we were both kind of like, huh, like we don't hate the players, but it feels like it felt a little underwhelming. And I told you a couple of nights ago, I'm going to do the effectiveness summary earlier next year, because if I'd looked at that effectiveness summary and seen how terrible they were on those defensive rankings, I would have been less surprised in the moment when this happened. It would have been like, oh, yeah, they're filling in gaps because they want more explosion and pass rush from the interior. They want guys that can penetrate like that's a part of their defense. They don't want to have to rush a million guys and pull a million stunts. So, you know, Jervin Dexter from Florida, Great guy in, you know, round two. He's their sort of next top pick, 53. Um, A guy we both liked and thought, yeah, that fits. They didn't have that guy. You pair that guy with somebody like Billings, again, meshing free agency in the draft, and you go. Incredible run defender, by the way. Yeah, and you go, yeah. And then people talked about his first step being slow and why that was and scheme. He was really reading and reacting at Florida. And it sounds like the Bears are going to turn him loose, and it's his first step is not that slow physically, He has more than that, but he was told to basically stand up, see what was going on, and then play that. Sounds like the Bears are going to say, no, this is your gap, gap and a half. Go penetrate. Use some of that crazy athleticism at whatever he is, 326, big dude. Oh, in terms of athletic profile, he's Chris Jones. Now, I'm not saying he's Chris Jones, but I'm saying... From a testing perspective. From a a physical perspective, it's like if we can just teach him we could maybe have something that's 70% of Chris Jones, which is still better than any interior defensive lineman they've had other than Akeem in the last 10 years. Yeah, a while, for sure. There's there's more potential there. We'll see again how they can really manifest that. But they weren't done, right? So with 53, they go Jervin Dexter. 56, Tyreek Stevenson, a player we both liked and kind of reminds us of the guy on the other corner of Jalen Johnson, right? And is it succession plan? Is it, hey, we want two of those guys so we have a big physical hammer on either side, which gives us more flexibility. And if, you know, the offense rotates, we don't have to switch. 
it's all of those things. I was just surprised because the secondary was the most loaded unit on defense. And here with one of their highest picks, 56, they go with another corner. Don't hate it at all. Don't hate the player. Was a bit surprised. And then 64 was the one that sort of tripped both of us up. Zach Pickens, um, defensive tackle from South Carolina. Like athletically explosive, but still figuring it out. Boy, that's generous. Well, (laughs) and we both went, ooh, feels early for us. We were surprised. We were like, they just picked a defensive tackle. And again, it's them hammering home the point of, and all three defense, right? We certainly felt they could have used those picks, higher picks, to fill out the offense with some of the players that were remaining on the board. And, you know, they maybe went a little bit earlier, but these were the guys they wanted. They wanted sort of explosive athletic profile on the inside of the defensive line and another big, solid outside corner. I think that really sort of cements what they're going to do with last year's top pick, Kyler Gordon, and they're going to move him inside. They're going to have him play a nickel, um, the other two big guys outside. And that looks like a pretty solid oh, unit. Yeah. And then you add the additions from free agency at linebacker, and you go, okay, now, now I see it. You have three layers. You've invested in all of them uh, with very high resources. Round four, one of our favorites, pick 115 overall, Roshan Johnson, running back out of Texas. We've talked about him. Um, great, great value, and a player that surprised the Bears. They said, we were we didn't think he was going to be here. We literally picked him because he was way higher on our board. We didn't necessarily need him, but we were like, at this spot, this represents a tremendous value. We love the player. We love the person. Like He brings something we don't necessarily have in our running back room. Let's just get really strong. Um, loved that pick when it occurred. Also in round four, 133, they go for the speedster Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati. Undersized but blazing speed. I'd say a less well-rounded game than Darnell Mooney, but a similar profile coming out. A little bit undersized, very fast. Um, tremendous weapon in the seam. That's where you see most of his highlights in Cincinnati is just go. Just tearing faces off with speed. Yep. Cannot get off press coverage to save his life. Nope. Just like, go. Watch the Temple game. They beat the shit out of him. But right. if he's off the line of scrimmage as a Z or inside as a slot, yeah. and we're using him, there's so many different types of slot receivers now, but if we're using him as like a speed slot, yep. or like somebody who's, hey, go run a deep cross from the inside where you know they can't press you, uh, and just go get across the safety's face, and Justin's going to find you. Like that's that's what they're drafting him for. They're not drafting him to beat press coverage because he can't do it. That's what DJ's for. That's what Darnell's for. Uh, that's what Chase is for. That's what Chase is for. He is just. We need you to catch two balls for fifty yards a game. Yeah. That's what he's for. And if he's wide receiver four, yeah, that's what he's like, gonna do. Perfect. Yeah. Right. So you bring out the lineup of DJ, Chase, and Darnell in some alignment on the other side, and you, then you triple stack. You know, Tyler Scott as wide receiver four. Go ahead and forget about him. Yeah. Go ahead and put your, you know, cornerback four on him. Go for it. Is he run four three? He should. Because <laughs> if he doesn't, Justin Fields is going to unleash the arm. So that's the fit for Tyler Scott. It's narrow, but we understand it. Um, round five, they come back, pick 148. They get Noah Sewell, uh, linebacker out of Oregon, Penny Sewell's younger brother, who had a very good 21 and a very meh. 22, although he made all Pac-12 honors uh, in 2022. 
he was a different player. He was, again, adapting to a new coaching staff, Dan Lanning coming in at, at Oregon. Um, didn't look as good in 2022. If you want to understand why they thought this was value further on down, go back and watch the 21 tape, a much more explosive and impactful player. And if they can get him sort of back to playing at that speed at that level and they get that for you know 148 overall, it'll look like a better pick, I think, than it necessarily did at the time. Round five, they come back 165. Uh, cornerback Terrell Smith, another, like, they have a type at this point. Yes. They want a big, linear athlete outside who is strong and fast and will get hands on people. And Terrell Smith fits that profile out of Minnesota. Round seven, they come back and get one of the good guys of the draft. Defensive lineman Travis Bell, first ever draft pick out of Kennesaw State. Really? Yeah, became the first draft pick out of Kennesaw State. I'm surprised it took that long. I am surprised as well. They love this guy as a player. Pulls. This is one of the, like, I'm pulling my GM card. I want this yeah, guy. Yeah. He's still there. Like, we loved this guy. Um, it, position of need, but you're, you're throwing lottery tickets out in round seven, and we're going to bet on a guy that we really like who also has some fun tape, but we just we believe that this is a player we want in our locker room. And then they finish out the draft round seven, pick two fifty eight. Kendall Williamson, big, um, I would say fast and explosive safety out of Stanford. He's got some limitations going backwards, but again, you're going to play him as a special teamer. You're going to play him as a dime backer to start. And if he grows into even the sort of DeAndre Houston Carson role, which is the same sort of place that DeAndre Houston Carson was picked, um, it's a success. But again, you're throwing lottery tickets overall. Pretty strong class. I think we both felt like they left some money on the table during the draft. And yeah. after when we did this whole summary and, and their place in the league and coaching and where they're going and put all those things together, this draft is one that made a little bit more sense. I'm not saying we loved it more, but it made more sense when we did that work. It gave some context. Yeah. And and I do want to clarify on, on my Pickens position. He's not going to play on early downs for them. He's just not especially with who they have, right? Um, and that's good because he will get his ass kicked against the run game. That's why I didn't want him that early yeah. is because he is a strictly third down player right now. That being said, they need third down players. So I think that's why they took him is just roll him in on third and seven. Early downs, first and 10, second and eight, that's going to be Jervin Dexter time yeah. and, and Billings time and really all of their other defensive lineman that can actually stop the run pickens can't do it and maybe he never will but if he just gives them juice as a pass rusher alone and that's his one thing i understand the pick again it's, it's not like they took him that early so it's not mm -hmm. that big of a deal but i just i still have images in my head of ricky stromberg just giving him a swirly and in the run game specifically yeah. and and that stuck with me so i was kind of like man there were other defensive tackles on the board that are like better but for what they want which is just somebody who can get pressure so that they can rush with four. I, I get it from that standpoint, but I personally probably would have gone in a different direction. Um, now, looking at notable UDFAs, this wasn't like a super exciting UDFA class, at least based on where we had guys like Tyson Bajan's borderline notable, I guess you could say. Uh, he's not going to make the roster. He's probably going to be a practice squad guy for them. Maybe he competes with you know, Peterman for QB three, but I still imagine he's going to be a practice squad guy. And then Micah Baskerville, 
Also potentially could sneak in there, yeah. um, but again, likely will be practice squad just because they have a bunch of linebackers, right? Um, other than that, most of these guys are are we'll see in August, and then maybe you make practice squad. But like I, there's nobody in this group that I'm like 100 percent final 53. Like when Sanborn, you know, when they yeah. when they snag Sanborn, we're like, oh, he's gonna be on the team. Uh, I nothing, nothing here jumps out like that to me. No, Baskerville is like Sanborn light. And considering Sanborn was a UDFA, yeah. that's light, light. Yeah. Um, and I'm with you that Bajent has some mobility, certainly showcased a pretty good arm uh, at the Senior Bowl, but has a long way to go. And again, you're like, if you make QB3, and there's new QB3 rules this year. Which is NFL, great, by the which way. Which is tremendous. Yeah. We, we do like that one. Kickoffs, not so much. QB3, yeah, we like that. If you make QB3, you're you're sort of batting above your weight against a guy that's bringing a ton of experience um, in an NFL quarterback room. And, you know, your physical profile overcame that. It says a lot about your ability to learn and learn quickly. But what we really expect is practice squad. And if anything, I was a little underwhelmed with their use of UDFA. Felt like they were a little bit rich. Certainly in, in the financial sense and free agency, got a lot of what they wanted. They were rich also in draft picks, especially after they traded down a couple of times and they had what they wanted there. And they kind of got to UDFA and went, whatever, grab, grab, grab who you like. It's fine. It felt a little bit um, soft. I'm sure that's not the way they approached it, but it just felt that way because there was not a lot of what I will say notable talent to us where we were like, oh, that's a tremendous value. I'm really glad they got that guy. Most of those guys went to other teams. Um, now, looking at their overall report card, and this is something we kind of whipped up, based on everything we have gone over so far, and this is a distillation of all the information that we've given, Yeah. report card for front office, coaching, offense, and defense, and then we'll kind of get into our, our ceiling and floor here for win totals. Front office report card, clearly up. You know, we think that Poles has done a really fantastic job of just biting the bullet in 2022, getting them into a financial position where they could do whatever they wanted. You know, getting the first overall pick was a bonus. Like, it allowed them to have even more options mm -hmm. to remake the roster for 2023. From that standpoint, you can't call this offseason anything but a resounding success from a front office perspective. Coaching, same staff. But new toy, new toys, I should say. Yeah, new tools. Um, so we'll we'll just kind of give them an even for now until we see what they do with all these new toys. Offense clearly up. Yep. Just the addition of DJ Moore by himself is up. Let alone Nate Davis, Darnell Wright, yeah. uh, Dante Foreman, Roshan Johnson, all of them. Right? Can't argue for anything but up. And defense also, you cannot argue for anything but up. Yeah. In fact, there's nowhere to go but up looking at their EPA <laughs> given up on, yeah. on running and passing defense. Defensive line's better. Linebacking core is deeper. We we can say that Roshan's an overall better player than Tremaine, but in terms of system fit, I think Tremaine's a better system fit. Um, you know, and the secondary got better too. This team, if we're looking at three ups and the only even being coaching staff, if they were anywhere near last year in terms of win total i would be stunned a meteor would have to hit the fucking stadium yeah. for them to have the type of year in 2023 that they had in 2022 which is why if we're looking at ceiling and floor and both you and i each have different ceilings and floors here ceiling for me 
best case scenario, this could be a 12-win team. I shit you not. Which I know people think, no way, that's pushing first seed. With 17 games, it's actually easier to get to 12 wins now than it used to be. That's still losing five times. Like, let's be real about it. You can still lose five times. But there is so much talent on this team now that if Justin takes the steps that we think he can and will take, they could very easily be the new Bengals where they come out of nowhere. Well, maybe out of nowhere for a lot of people, not for us back then. They come out of nowhere and win 12 games. You know, the Niners in 2019, they were horrible. And then all of a sudden, all the pieces were healthy and came together and the system worked and and they pushed for first seed, right? Bears could be that this year. If the bottom falls out, if Justin isn't what we think he is, or worst case scenario, if he gets hurt and it's the Nathan Peterman show, and, you know, there's a bunch of injuries and, and the young guys, because they're really reliant on young talent. If they take longer mm-hmm. to get going than we think, their bottom is six. It, it's a huge range. Yeah. Like there are some teams where my range for them is like two or three, three games. games. Yeah. <laughs> for the Bears, it's six. Like they, they could be incredible. They could be kind of garbage. They'll probably land somewhere in the middle. But we're just talking about ceiling and floor here. My absolute ceiling is 12, and they yeah. push for first seed. My absolute floor is they're picking back in the top 10 again. And I don't really know where where they're going to fall in the middle of that. Yeah. I fall slightly differently. My ceiling is 10. And, yeah, if Justin goes supernova, could I see 11? Sure. 12 is pushing it for me. I say the ceiling is 10 because there are so many things that need to mesh. Like, all the pieces are there, but just in terms of, like, we scraped this thing, not to the studs, like, we scraped this thing to the basement, right? We We dug up a new foundation and put a new one in. Right. (laughs) We basically went right down to the pad on this thing, and we built this shiny new house, and on paper, it looks great, but we got to turn the plumbing on. We got to turn the electricity on. We got to landscape the whole place. Like, it's not all going to work all at once, and even if most of it works, I think 10 wins, which again is really solid. 17 games, it's solidly more than half. And you're pushing for that, you know, second seed in a division wild card type berth with 10 wins. I think that's solidly in play. 12 for me is just a touch too rich because everything would have to work great. And it so rarely does. Especially for the Bears. <laughs> Especially for the Bears. No doubt about that. My floor is higher than yours as well. I went to seven because the lines being better. Talking about the old school, build from the inside out. Make sure your lines are solid and then go from there. Well, the Bears kind of went backwards. They built the secondary on defense to an almost elite level in terms of talent and left nothing in front of it. Now they've filled in the two rows in front of it. And is it likely that you're going to get much better linebacker play out of Edmonds and Edwards than they did out of last year's consortium of linebackers? Yeah, it is. You know, is everybody going to hit on the defensive line? No. Do they have enough guys that it doesn't matter if everybody doesn't hit on the defensive line, unlike last year? Yeah, so both of those levels are going to get better. You've rebuilt that line. Offense, we knew they needed to rebuild the offensive line. Pure and simple. We're sure how they're going to do it. There's a lot of debate ends up that they're going to take a guard, move Whitehair back to center. They've solidified that right side through free agency and the draft. 
They're going to ride with Braxton Jones. He's going to have to do less because everybody else around him is going to be doing more. And Tevin, who had very serious good flashes, hopefully gets to settle in at left guard and, again, has experienced players on both sides. Like, you've built the lines. We already know what Justin can do. We've seen it even without any help. Oh, yeah, and you bought him help, right? He's got an alpha wide receiver. He's got a speedy number four. He's actually got a decent pass running tight end two. Mm-hmm. He's got one of the most solid running back rooms in the league when you look one through four. I don't know that there's anybody better one through four. There's better one through two, right? But when you look one through four all the way down to Homer, like and for what he is and why he was It's important. very like 2021 20, Cleveland. Yes, right? it is super yeah. solid all the way through four. So like all the pieces are there and like, oh, they just all have to work. Well, that's the trick, right? But I don't think they'll be worse than seven. I would be really surprised if this team only won six games. Like a lot of things would have to go wrong. And that would include Justin getting hurt and PJ Walker being absolute garbage. I, I put it at six because I didn't imagine the Broncos were going to be ass last year. It happened. And so it's like I'm building in a higher range and, now. And we didn't imagine the Colts were going to be oh terrible. Oh my God. I thought they right? could win 13 games and they were horrible. But I, I would be really surprised actually if the Bears didn't come in between 10 and seven. I wouldn't be terribly surprised at seven. I'd be a little disappointed. I bet at the end of the year, between 10 and seven is a really reasonable range. It obviously indicates a massive increase from last year in wins and competence. And again, their effectiveness score, regardless, is going to be much higher in five of six categories. Might actually be a little bit lower in running, but that would be okay if you balanced it out over the bulk of that sheet. And the outlook, like you said, three out of four are looking up. And the only reason coaching isn't looking up is because it's the same. And now they have something to work with. This is a team on the rise. And it's just a question of how far that rise is going to be and how fast. Overall, probably a playoff team. Or at least fighting for a playoff spot. Fighting, for, be a nice, fighting for a playoff spot. Nice change of pace yes. for Bears fans to care about football in December for reasons other than draft picks. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a much better team. Uh, I couldn't ask for a better team to to kick off the offseason series. Again, we're going to be doing this type of deep dive on every single team, as well as doing individual division episodes, looking at divisions as a whole. Uh, that's going to be coming out Friday every, every single week. Um, next team we're looking at Packers, I think, Packers. right? <sighs> Them. Anyway. Uh, has to be done. <laughs> it has to be done. If you're a Bears fan, you're watching this and you want to pick up uh, any sort of Bears gear to get ready for a season that we hope to God is going to be more watchable than last year. Yeah. Uh, we have partnered with Homage. Yeah, Homage Clothing Company, super soft T-shirts. They've got an NFL license. So regardless of who you root for, even if it's the Packers, they have multiple styles. Some of the softest and most comfortable T-shirts you'll ever wear. Great hoodies. Um They are a proud partner with us, and every piece of clothing you purchase through Homage using our code, which will be in the description, uh, helps support this podcast and keep us going. Plus, you get great gear. So if we've hyped you up about the Bears or your team when we get there, go check out Homage Clothing Company. Um, Check out the link in the description. Make sure to use that. Get yourself some fresh gear for the season and help support the podcast. Uh, you can also support us by uh, supporting our title sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. So if you happen to be in the mood for best ball, uh, whether it's really you know going for the $15 million prize pool in best ball mania, or you want to do private leagues with your friends, or 
even if you want to use best ball drafts, and this is a common thing people do because, you know, it's like a $2, you, you can go down to like a $2 draft, right? So you know people are going to be staying in the entire draft. People use those for, um, you know, doing like basically mock drafts for their home yeah. leagues because it's more realistic that way. It's not just people auto-picking after the second or third round. Uh, you know, people stay the entire time. So it's actually a common thing that people use uh, underdog best ball drafts for mock drafts that that actually make sense um so really anything you want to use underdog for other sports too like basketball's going on hockey's going on well by the time this comes out maybe it's not but uh really anything you want to use underdog for they have every single sport you can think of use promo code bootleg they'll match your deposit up to a hundred dollars so whether it's ten dollars or a hundred they will give you double that to work with on the platform and uh, they allow us to do all of this yeah. 40 times <laughs> in addition to everything during the during the <laughs> season, all of our travel coming up. So we could not thank them enough. They're a great partner. Yep. And with that, EJ, let's go fucking talk about the Packers for 90 minutes, shall we? Yeah. Green Bay is next, but we'll see you all many times over the summer. Thank you for riding with us. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. And uh, we will see you real soon.